You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. can go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, worship team, for leading us this morning. I have the privilege of introducing Troy McKnight to you. Troy has spoken here before. You might recognize him or remember the name. Uh, Troy comes from 20-plus years of pastoral ministry to now serving with Kelowna's gospel mission. And Troy has become a close friend as he's the one uh, working in resource development to build relationships with us, uh, with the church, with churches, with businesses, with individuals, uh, in order to resource the mission with uh, finances and volunteers so that they can continue their work of uh, loving people and, and telling them about Jesus, the men and women of Kelowna. Uh, and so, Troy, why don't you come on up? Thanks so much for being with us. Let's welcome Troy. Now, I promise we did not call each other in the early hours of the morning. We're close, not that close. <laughs> or not that kind of close. No, not that say. kind of close. No, no we're uh, close. Awesome. But it is a privilege to have Troy with us. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Uh, and then turn it over to you. So, Father, thank you uh, for this man whose life lived to display your glory. Uh, God, thank you for how he brings his talents and, and abilities to Kelowna's gospel mission and that we get to be blessed by him this morning as well. So, Father, now with the words of his mouth, The meditations of his heart bring you glory. Get glory in this place as your word is communicated. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. I wander, so I don't know where I'm going to put this, but this will probably be fine. Um, Well, it's great to be back again uh, this morning. Uh, One of the worship team members uh, connected with me this morning as we were praying before service, and they're like, I think you're the guy from the gospel mission who was here earlier, but you look really different. And I said, that's because I have less facial hair and I'm thinner, right? And he was like, I'm not sure about that. But uh, anyways, uh, but he said, are you the guy who talks fast? And I said, yeah, I'm the guy who talks fast. He said, okay, yeah, you're the same guy. So you're back again. So I said, yeah, I'm I'm here and I'll do my best to to slow down. Before I jump into the message, I just want to highlight an upcoming event uh, that we're having at Clone's Gospel Mission that I would like you as a church family uh, to know about. We are gearing up for our eighth annual Charity Golf Classic that we're hosting on Friday, September the 9th at Sunset Ranch Golf and Country Club. Uh, you can come on out and join 100 plus sponsors and community members for a fantastic, fun-filled day of golf and prizes with all proceeds going to support the life-saving programs that we offer through Kelowna's Gospel Mission. Now, some of you are thinking, no, no I'm not going to some golf tournament. I'll be embarrassed. I promise you won't because it is a Texas scramble format, best ball format. It means you play with four other people. Everyone hits, you just go to the best ball, pick up your ball. For me, that's usually in the bushes, and you get it over there to where everybody else is, and then you can play. So if you're a great golfer, you're going to have a wonderful time. If you're a hacker like me, you're going to look better than ever before. So come on out and join us on September the 9th. If you'd like to learn more about this event, uh, you can go to our website at colonagospelmission.ca, and uh, you can sign up there. I hope to see some of you uh, out there, and you can also, like my foursome, laugh at me as I try to make my way down the course. Well, I'm going to jump into the message 
privilege now. Uh, when Keith called me and said, hey, I'm wondering if you could maybe uh, help us as I'm on holidays and you would be willing to come and speak, uh, and he told me about the theme that we're looking at this summer, this idea of, of things that make us sing or things that lead us to sing or to give praise and honor and worship and thanksgiving to God, I was in. I was sold. I mean, what kind of a preacher cannot get on board uh, with that? And as soon as I read through his email on some more of the details, I knew exactly uh, what I wanted to share with you this morning. And so this morning, I want to invite you to join me on a journey to discover, maybe for the first time, or maybe for some of us, to rediscover the life-changing truth that we are beloved children of God. Now, that might seem like a simple concept, but trust me, it is not. This is a profound truth that will absolutely revolutionize our relationship with God if we allow it to sink into our hearts and our minds. It will change the way that we see who God is, who we are, and how he feels about us. I can tell you from personal experience that learning to rest in and live out of my identity as a beloved son of God has changed everything for me, and it is my deep hope and prayer that you might discover that truth too. So what I want to do this morning is approach things a little bit differently. I want to spend some time kind of grounding this idea that we are beloved sons and daughters of the living God in the scriptures. And then, if you will indulge me, uh, I would like to tell you a story, a story that really allowed this to come to life for me and changed everything. So a little bit different than I would usually do. Is that okay? Perfect. Three people. I'm going to keep going. So if you have your Bibles with you, one of these days, no one will say anything, and I'll just be like, that's all, folks, and I'll leave. But until then, we're going to keep going. If you have your Bibles, you can open to me, with me to the first scripture, which is found in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. In this letter, John is writing to a community of Jesus followers who are really struggling they're struggling. They find themselves under immense pressure as they are attempting to live out this life of Jesus in community. They are under pressure from the Roman regime. They are under pressure from false teachers. They are under pressure from infighting within the church. And so John, who loves them, he writes them this letter, almost like a mini sermon, to encourage them to stay the course and to remember, to remember, most importantly, who they are because that will empower them when it comes to living out the life of Jesus in community. And we find it kind of right here in the middle of the letter, this kind of hinge point in 1 John 3, 1, we read these incredible words. What's he want them to remember? He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I mean, boom. How amazing is that? He wants them to remember the great, incredible love that God their Father has lavished on them, that they should be called children of God. John says, together, we, I think we should capitalize that, we are children of God. But it's like John understands that his audience and that those of us as readers today, we struggle to really wrap our heads and hearts around this profound truth. We really struggle to believe it. So I want you to, I love that last little phrase that he ends with. And just in case you didn't get the first time, and that is what we are. See, John wants them and he wants us to understand that when we open our hearts and lives to Jesus, we put our faith and trust in him. We are adopted into God's family. We actually become children of God. 
And for John, that changes everything. That is the source. That is the place where when we stay plugged into our identity as sons and daughters of the living God, we can then live and, and thrive and live out the life of Jesus in the midst of the pressures that will come. But John's not the only one who thought this was worthy of focusing on. The Apostle Paul also talks about this amazing, beautiful, profound truth in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Paul puts it this way. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I mean, how great is that? You guys don't seem very excited about this very profound truth. See, once again, Paul wants us to understand that when we open our hearts and lives to Jesus, that we actually are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts and our lives. And by that Spirit, we are adopted as God's sons and daughters, his kids. And that changes everything, Paul says. He says, because of that, we don't have to live in fear anymore, right? We don't have to live like a slave. We don't have to be afraid. No fear of rejection. No fear of not being enough. No fear of punishment. No fear of guilt. No fear of shame. All that's gone, Paul says. Rather, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And to kind of drive it home to Paul's readers, the word that he, Greek word that he uses for sonship speaks of the standing of someone who is adopted into a Roman family as a full legal heir of the home in Roman culture. See, Paul wants them to understand he's not talking about a second-class citizen in the family. He's talking about a fully loved, accepted member of the family. So much so, Paul says, are we adopted into God's family that it actually changes the way that we address our Heavenly Father. As God's kids, he says, we now cry out and we call him Abba, which is amazing. See, Abba is this Aramaic term that children would use to address their fathers. And it wasn't like a formal kind of distance, cold term, like master of the house or sir. But the best translation, the closest we can get to it today, is Abba literally means daddy. It would have been, you would have heard Abba echoing through the streets and the paths and the byways and cities and villages and towns all around Galilee in the first century as fathers returned from their work and children ran out to meet them, Abba, 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 being wrapped up in their embrace. It is the warmest, most intimate way that a child could speak and address their father. And Paul says, as adopted sons and daughters of God, this is how you too can address the creator of all things. You don't need to be afraid. You're not an outsider anymore. You are in the most intimate, secure, safe place you could be, wrapped up in your Abba's ever-loving arms. Friends, do you hear that? Do you understand what that means? See, Paul wants us to understand that we're no longer outsiders, but we have been brought into the family, adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. Everything has changed for us. But here's the rub. 
many of us, even as I'm saying these words this morning, there are many of you sitting out there today who struggle to wrap your heads around this powerful truth. You, tr- you struggle to accept it as true of you because you know who you are, just like I know who I am. We often think things like, well, of course, you know, God loves me as his son or daughter because he theologically has to, that's who he is, and okay, maybe I'm part of his family, but kind of as like a second-class member of the family, or, you know, I kind of snuck in by grace, but I mean, it's just different, right? It's just different. And friends, when we buy into those ideas, we miss out on the love and the grace and the intimacy that our Abba so desperately wants us to experience in his presence. But if you're still wrestling with that concept this morning, you're not alone. I wrestled with it too. I really wrestled with it through my seminary years and the first decade of ministry. I remember wandering around thinking, I have a master's of divinity and 10 years of ministry under my belt, and I still don't believe that this is true. How can it be true? And then one day, everything changed for me. And I think the best way to tell you about that is to tell you a story. There's a young couple who are working in the college library. They end up on the same shift almost every week. And as they peered at each other through the stacks, they both realized something was happening. Within a couple months, they realized that they were in deep smit. Have you ever been there, smitten? Yeah? And then they were on that slippery slope to falling in love. A year and a half later, they were married, and all was right in the world. And a couple years later, they decided it was time to start a family. And like many young couples, they thought that was going to be simple and straightforward, but nothing could be further from the truth. Their journey towards starting a family became a nine-year journey with what the doctors called unexplained infertility. And over those nine years, they said goodbye to two sets of twins and three single children at various stages of pregnancy. Over those nine years, they had to learn how to say goodbye to seven children that they would never know. They struggled to keep their relationship and their marriage afloat amid the churning sea of grief and loss that was their life. Until one day, with the help of some very skilled doctors, she became pregnant. But from the very beginning, the pregnancy was full of all kinds of complications, and they almost lost her and the baby multiple times, but with much prayer from family and support from their church family and friends, the day came and their long-awaited child arrived, a son. If you could have seen the joy on their faces that day as they held this precious baby boy. Following the birth, the doctors made it very clear that this would be their one and only biological child. It was simply too dangerous to actually try again. And so they settled in to raising their son. But as their son grew, their heart and their desire to grow their family grew too. And so they started to investigate the potential of maybe adoption. And after much research and reading, they 
They, their hearts became captured by the AIDS pandemic that was sweeping through Southern Africa and the literally hundreds of thousands of orphans that were being left in its wake with no one to love them, no one to care for them, no one to give them a home. And so they connected with an agency that was piloting a program in one of these deeply affected Southern African countries. They filled out all the paperwork, they worked through their home study, and their dossier was sent. And one month after their dossier arrived in country, the country's adoption program shut down. And so they started to wait again. And they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed. And two and a half years later, they were still waiting to welcome home their newest child. But then the phone call came. It was the agency. The country wasn't open but they had a match for them, they thought, in a neighboring country, in the country of Swaziland, now known as Eswatini, where this couple, there's a little girl that they felt would be perfect for this couple. All they had to do was turn around all their paperwork within a week. No problem. <laughs> much, much to the amazement of the agency, the wife turned it around in four days. Two weeks later, they received their first picture of their chubby-cheeked little Swazi girl. And now, it was on. After two and a half years of waiting, in four weeks' time, they were going to take their now four-year-old son and get on a plane and make the 21-hour flight to Swaziland to finally welcome their new daughter. And everyone was excited. But the father, the father was wrestling with some real questions, some real, some real doubts, some genuine fear. And those questions and doubts and fears were compounded by the innocent questions often asked to him by his friends and his church family. Questions like, what do you think it will be like? Do you think it will be love at first sight? Do you think you'll know that she's yours? Do you think you'll love her with the same love that you have for your one and only son? And some not-so-innocent questions like, what if it's not the same? What if you don't feel love for this child? What will you do then? These innocent and not-so-innocent questions haunted the father as he wrestled with them day and night. What would it be like? How will he feel? Will he love her? Four weeks passed. It was time to go. They boarded the plane, they landed in Eswatini, and after a few weeks of settling into their guest house, it was finally time to meet their little girl for the first time. Early the next morning, as this red sun was peeking over the horizon, a whole caravan of families from the US and Canada, they snaked their way through the back countryside, along broken down roads, through dry river beds and trails that had fallen to pieces. It was a long journey, but they finally arrived in the small town where there was the orphanage. They met the directors of the orphanage, and they were told what would happen is each family would head into one of the houses and sit in a living room, and they would wait, and their child would be brought in and introduced to them one by one. They queued outside the house, and they waited, and as they did, the father's heart was beating out of his chest, haunted by these unanswered questions. Finally, it was their turn. And so the couple and their four-year-old headed into the living room and sat on the couch and waited. The father had a little doll that he had brought for his new daughter. 
He was squeezing her as these thoughts continued to swirl in his mind. And then all at once, there, off to the right, down a hallway came a little girl in a pink dress. And he knew immediately it was his daughter. She toddled over to her new family with tears of joy streaming down their face. And in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, the father knew this was his beloved daughter. All of his questions and doubts and fears were washed away by an overwhelming wave of unending love. He knew that she was his and he was hers and that he would love her to his dying breath. He knew that he would love her forever. He knew that in that moment he would die for her if he had to. In that moment, he actually learned what an adopting dad's heart is all about. In that moment, he discovered that there is no difference between a biological son and an adopted daughter. They are his, and he loves them with the same unrelenting love, period. You see, that story changed everything for me. And you might wonder, well, where do you hear a story like that? And how do you know the details so well? It's because that story is my story. I am that father. And that day, when I met my little girl, Zoe Jane, who is not so little anymore, it changed everything. You see, Mission Creek family, that day I understood what an adoptive dad's heart is all about. That day, for the first time, I actually understood that my heavenly father, my Abba, loves me with the exact same love that he has for his one and only son. There is no difference. That day, Paul's call to actually address him as daddy made sense. It changed everything. And so, my friends, this morning, what I would long for for you would be that you would be able to reframe how you think about who God is and who you are and how much He loves you. It'd be my hope and my prayer that you would discover His unending, unfathomable, untamable love for you that you too might be able to start to just understand that he loves you with the same love that he has for his son. It does not waver. It does not change. You are not a second-class member in his family. You are a fully loved and accepted son, a fully loved and accepted daughter of the living God. And friends, when that starts to sink into our hearts and our lives, we not only love and live and serve in a whole new way, but we learn to rest in his love and in his care. We can face the joys and the sorrows that life brings our way with confidence because we know that we have an Abba who loves us and who's with us and who longs for us to bring him our joy and our sorrow and our heartache and our pain 
so that he can wrap us up in his arms and be with us through whatever we are facing because he will never leave us or forsake us. His love is more than enough to get us through. We can rest secure in the fact that we are precious, that we are beloved, that we belong, that we are loved. And friends, I cannot think of something more powerful or more beautiful that should lead us to sing and give praise to our great God for his amazing love for us. So I'll invite you just, if you would, for a moment, just maybe just kind of close our eyes and bow our heads, if you will. And I think it's so important for us to create space Because I trust this morning as we were singing earlier that the Holy Spirit, we've invited him to be present and saturate the atmosphere and be at work. The same spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells us and brings us to adoption as sons and daughters. And so this morning, I don't pretend to know where you're at, but maybe for you this morning, you needed to hear this, to be reminded of the fact that you are loved as you are, not as you should be. You don't need to strive. You don't need to work. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to try to earn God's love. But instead, this morning, maybe the Spirit is whispering to you that you are precious and you are loved. And I would just invite you in these moments to open your heart to your Abba who just wants to lavish you with his love. Maybe for some of us, we've been there. We've walked that road, but we've gotten busy. We've gotten distracted. It's so easy for us to forget So maybe for some, it's just a reminder this morning of how precious you are. Maybe it's just a reminder that you are loved with an unending, unmerited, furious love. Or maybe it's something else. But let's just be quiet for just a moment. Quiet our hearts. Quiet our minds. Listen to what the Spirit might be saying. Abba, you are here with us now. You see each person present in this room and watching online. You know them. You love them. You welcome them. Abba, I pray that you would tear down the lies that so many of us have bought into, this skewed view that somehow we aren't good enough. Remind us of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, that makes us worthy. Remind us that your love accepts us, embraces us, flows over us day and night. Abba, thank you that you have lavished your great love on us and that today we are your children. That is who we are. 
May you set us free to live and love and serve out of our identity as beloved children of God. And may we learn more and more every day what it means to rest in your tender embrace and trust your love through the ups and downs of every single day. We worship you this morning, and we thank you for your great faithfulness to us, your kids. We love you. We praise you. We bless your name. Thank you, Abba. Amen.